I want to invite you to turn your Bibles with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, we're going to be only reading about five verses this morning from verse 14 to verse 19, actually 6. Um, but this is really part of a larger argument that we're going to see the Apostle Paul making to a group of believers in Ephesus. But before we get to what Paul is addressing in today's message, I wanted to just remind us we have been in a series titled Better. Everybody say Better. Better. Um, I remember when I was growing up and this thought just came to my mind. When I first, my, my first major pre-Bible college training in ministry was when I got to go to a, a camp called Warriors Camp. It was, a, it was a camp that was established back in the late 90s by our then district youth director who is now a pastor of a local church here in Houston. And uh, it, was, it was an opportunity for young people who felt called to ministry to uh, give a month where they would be mentored, trained, discipled, but also engage in active ministry. We, we would travel all over South Texas, ministering in different churches. And so I got a chance to make a lot of lifelong friends through this month-long experience, many who are still involved in ministry um, to, to this day. And I remember one of our, our mentor, uh, his name is Edgar. Edgar has since gone home to be with the Lord. He started a ministry called Agora Ministries. It still operates to this day in San Antonio. Um, and Edgar was our, our, main, our main leader. Edgar would always say to us, your good can always be better. He would always say to us, your good can always be better. So say with me this morning, my good can always be better. And it's not this idea that we're chasing perfection, right? Because perfection, if, we chase perf- if we're trying to chase perfection, friend, <laughs> let me just break it to you, you're never going to reach it. We have no capacity to be perfect. But what we have the capacity for is to be better. And the idea of being better is meant to convey this sense of don't settle. Don't just be content with where you are. Yes, where, where God has brought you from and what God has done so far is good. But we're talking about a God who is limitless in his power whose scope of thought and wisdom is way beyond what we can imagine or ever fathom or experience. And God is saying to you and I, don't settle. Keep seeking more, seeking a deeper walk with me, a a closer relationship with me. So the the concept or the goal behind this series better is how do we know Christ more? How do we seek to know Christ more in the year ahead? So in the first week, we talked about loving God best. And how we do that, we said, is by expressing our affection for Him with our entire being. Jesus was asked the question, what is the most important command in the Scriptures? And He responded by saying, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. So what Jesus was saying is this. If you and I are to truly love God as we should then it must involve every aspect of our lives, every fiber of our being. We don't only give God a part of ourselves and we withhold another part for Him, thinking, well, it's none of His concern or He has no business being engaged in that aspect of our lives. Every aspect of our lives is meant to bring glory to God. We, are, we have to live with this mindset that, God, I want every part of me to honor You. I want my words, my actions, my attitude, my thoughts, my desires. God, I want every aspect of my life to honor you. That's what it means to be a disciple of Christ. In week two, we learned that if we are to resist giving in to sinful, selfish desires, which are always going to be a part of our journey through this life, again, because we are not perfect. Just because you and I got saved does not mean we won't get tempted. And I'm not suggesting that this is licensed for us to give in to sin, but there will be times when we will fall, or where we will give in. But the, the goal as believers is this, that we are 
we, we, we recognize that because I am in Christ, I have freedom to say no to sin. I'm no longer a slave to sin. Before I came to Jesus, whatever my flesh wanted, I did. Even if I knew that it was wrong, I still gave in. Why? Because at the mo- at, in that moment, what my flesh wanted, my craving, my appetite, my desires were priority. But when I gave my heart to Christ, I recognized that the power that I did not have to say no to my flesh, now I find because I walk in His power and not in mine. And so the reality is this, if you and I are to overcome those sinful, selfish desires that will always creep up, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. But that when it does creep up, our ability to resist them is nurtured by our willingness to say, God, I am going to develop an appetite for your word. There's a reason why the psalmist said that your word have I hidden in my heart. Why? So that I do not sin against you. The correlation is when I hide God's word in my heart and it's more than just meditating, it's more than just reading, but it's, it's, it's allowing the Holy Spirit to help you to have understanding about how to apply the word to your life. That becomes the guard when you find yourself tempted or when you find yourself in a situation where you need to make a decision and your flesh is saying, no, go this way. But God's spirit is saying, no, go this way. You know, because God's word has revealed to you the heart of God, the will of God, the purpose of God for your life and my life. That we say, you know what? I am no longer a slave to sin. I'm not giving into what my flesh wants. I'm going to do what the spirit wants. And the more we do that, friends, it is as if we are working these spiritual muscles that enable us to walk in victory over our flesh constantly. That is what it means to be better as we walk with the Lord. Today we're going to look at what the Bible teaches about how we stand firm through times of hardship or opposition. There's a story I came across I wanted to share with you that I think will help set the scene for or help set the stage for what I'm going to discuss this morning. There was a columnist for the Leadership Journal named Misty Misty Maori. She tells a story about a man who bought a house with a tree in the backyard. And at the time he bought the house, it was winter, so there was nothing that marked this tree as being any different from all the other trees in the neighborhood. But when springtime came along and this tree began to grow leaves and began began to produce these tiny pink buds, um, this man thought that this was going to be a flower tree and so he was actually looking forward to enjoying the beauty of this tree throughout the summer. But before he could get around to enjoying the flowers, a fierce wind began to blow through that region and soon his entire yard was covered with flower petals. And annoyed, this man concluded that this tree served no use at all. But as the summer days grew shorter, he began to notice that the tree was now full of green fruit the size of large nuts. He picked a large one and he took a bite and immediately he yelped in disgust because the fruit was sour. He threw it to the ground. Again, he bemoaned the idea of the fact that not only were flowers so fragile on this tree that the wind could easily blow them away, but that in addition, the fruit that came off this tree was terrible and bitter. And as he was walking away, this man promised he was going to cut down this tree by the winter. But the tree paid no attention to the man. And it continued to draw water from the ground and warmth from the sun so that by late fall, this tree had produced crisp, juicy red apples for some people because they believe that the life of a Christian is supposed to be one of ease happiness abundance widespread acceptance when trials when difficulties when when struggle comes they become disillusioned and they perhaps believe that the presence of trouble 
maybe means that God is absent from my life or that God is disengaged from those he claims to love. But brother and sister, listen to me this morning. The reality is this, that God's love is not measured by our comfort. Just because you are going through a hardship or a struggle or a difficulty does not mean that God has stopped loving you. Does not mean that God has stopped caring for you. Does not mean that God's plan or purpose for your life is no longer in play. God does not waste adversity, brother and sister. And in the same way that some of the best fruit ripen late. Some of the best fruit ripen late. God's promise, brother and sister, is this. That our commitment to trust Him and to follow Him will in the end bring about an eternal benefit. And in the meantime, God has given you and I what we need to navigate adversity so that we stand firm. Everybody say firm. We stand firm and as overcomers, we're able to walk in victory through Christ. This is what I believe Paul was trying to make. The point he was trying to make when he was writing to the church in Ephesus. Because these were a group of believers that he had personally led to the Lord. A a church he had personally established during one of his many missionary trips. And at the point that Paul writes this book, the book, the letter of Ephesians, Paul is sitting in a jail cell in Rome. Of course, we all know, history tells us that Paul would never leave that jail cell. It was, it was, that would be his final place on, up, um, before he was ultimately executed. But, but from that jail cell, the Bible shows to us that Paul got wind that the believers in Ephesus were getting discouraged. They were facing opposition, they were facing persecution, they were facing pressure from the culture around them to, to not hold true to their beliefs about Christ, to not hold true to their faithfulness to Christ. Um, and, and not just persecution, but just life circumstances were just weighing heavy on these believers. And so many of them were probably perhaps saying to themselves, what is the point of following Jesus if I'm just going to be going from one trouble to another? What is the point of trusting God? What is the point of leaning on Him and, and saying, God, I, I depend on you. God, I, I, I believe that you're my, you're, my, you're my provider if I find myself going through hardships today. Again, brother and sister, Jesus said to us, in this world we will have trouble. But he tells us we take heart. Why? Because he has already overcome for us. And that word overcome simply means that what we need, not to tolerate, not just to barely survive, but to get through those seasons of adversity, hardship, difficulty, God has made available to us. God will not leave you and I hanging. God is not going to wait and just say, well, let me see what happens. Let me see if he comes out or she comes out on the other side unscathed. No, this is not a game. Certainly not from God's perspective. He does not play with our lives. He does not play with our souls in that regard. God's desire is that in those times of difficulty, we recognize He has made provision so that we can overcome whatever it is we face. And again, this is what Paul was trying to say. And part of his argument was to the believers in Ephesus, look at me. I am sitting in a jail cell, and yet you don't see me complaining. You don't see me wondering, God, where art thou? You don't see me saying, God, what is the point of all that I've done for you and yet this is where I end up? Paul says, do not, do not allow your circumstances to overwhelm you in the same way that I choose not to allow this condition to cause me to lose sight of what God has called me to do. God is always working on his purpose for you and for me, no matter what we go through. So let's read together our text this morning, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 to verse 19. After in verse 13, he tells them to not be discouraged about his tribulations on their behalf. 
because they are for his glory. In other words, Paul is saying, I am here and I'm willing to be here because it is, it is how you and others like you are coming to faith in Christ. If this is the price I have to pay the people, so that people can come to Jesus, I'm willing to pay that price. So Paul is saying, don't be discouraged by what I'm going through. In verse 14, he says, for this reason, I bend my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner self, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you being rooted and grounded in love, may be able, Paul says, to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to all the fullness of God. Paul says, while there are reasons why you could be discouraged, while there are reasons why you could feel disillusioned, God, where are you? God, why am I going through this? God, why are you not letting this pass from me? God, why are you not, you know, just... Just, you know, suddenly just removing this struggle from my life. Paul says there are greater things we can focus on that in the end remind us that we, friends, who trust in the Lord will win. We will win. We will overcome. We will overcome. Why? Because we are in Christ. Our strength, our power, our ability to endure doesn't come from within ourselves. It comes from Jesus. And when we learn to tap into him, when we learn to cling to him, when we learn to hold on to him, he will give us what we need to endure. And to not only endure, but to endure stronger for having gone through that experience. There are three words that I believe Paul says must define the believer. Strong, stable, secure. Say it with me. Strong, stable, secure. One more time. Strong, stable, secure. I believe this morning, brother and sister, that you and I can learn to trust God to give us what we need to overcome times of discouragement for Christ's sake. And so to those who are concerned that their commitment to Christ could be overwhelmed by their hardships or their opposition, there are three things Paul shows us in the Bible, or three ways, excuse me, we display strength, stability, and security. First thing we look at is this, what I call the evidence of a strong faith which the Bible teaches you and I is demonstrated in our conviction to live boldly for Christ. Again, I want to remind you of what Paul says in verse 16. He says, speaking of God, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened. Everybody say strengthened. strengthened. Paul says that God desires to grant you and I the, 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 the strength that comes through the power of his Holy Spirit at work in us. And that the result of the strength that God gives you and I is that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. Think about it this morning. Conviction. Everybody say conviction. Conviction Conviction is a word that is oftentimes missing in in the practice of believers. Because many times we think to ourselves that being a Christian is simply about my religious expressions. Or my religious activities, my religious practices. But there is so much more to being a Christian than just outward religious expressions, as important as they are. Conviction is something that Christ wants every single one of us to have because it is what will keep us going even in the face of of, of factors that might suggest to us that we have no reason to keep going forward. Conviction is what says, I will keep pressing ahead in spite of the odds. Why? Because I believe what I am doing is worth it. 
I believe that the commitment I have made to follow Christ is valid. It is valuable. So there is nothing that is powerful or strong enough to dissuade me or to discourage me from continuing to live for him. Paul says to the believers that part of their ability to overcome discouragement and those times of discouragement will come, Paul says. But part of that is the conviction that we receive, or excuse me, the strength that comes from a conviction to now live boldly for Christ. God's desire is that you and I live boldly for Jesus. In the marketplace of life, we will have opportunity every single day to demonstrate that Christ is more than just a, 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 a favorite phrase or a catchphrase in our vocabulary, that he is a person that we know intimately and that he has changed our lives and that, and that everything about us is influenced by everything that he is. Again, it's not that you and I are perfect. We're not trying to, we're not trying to pre- 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 present ourselves to a word as if we have it all together and we have it better than everybody else. That's not what, that's not what it's about. What it is about is you and I be willing to say, God, let, I want people to, to, to see you in me. And, and being, having Christ be seen in us involves our willingness to say, God, I will live for you. I will make decisions and choices that though they may go against the grain, though they may go, they go against my own personal preference, may go against what culture says, because it is what you have said, this is how I will live. Paul is reminding the church in Ephesus that their strength comes through the power of the Holy Spirit at work in them to demonstrate that Christ indeed dwells in their hearts because of their faith in Him. This is why I love what the psalmist said in Psalm 112, verse 7 and 8. This is what he says in verse 7. I, I, put, I put this phrase in because, because it, for me it was important that you, you, you see, the, 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 you see how, how the writer, the psalmist is explaining this point. He says, He who fears the Lord will not fear bad news. He who fears the Lord will not fear bad news. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. His heart is firm. He will not fear, but will look with satisfaction on his enemies. Is is the psalmist suggesting that in our Christian walk, we will never ever engage things that will cause us fear, or will cause us anxiety, or cause us worry? No, what he is saying is this. When those things come, and they will come, our response will be very different. Why? Because we do not trust in ourselves. We do not trust in another. We trust in God. And we recognize that because nothing can overcome God, nothing can overthrow God, then we are safe. I've shared this with you before. Growing up, I was deathly afraid of the dark. I had a vivid imagination. Would never venture out into the darkness because of all the different things that I thought existed in the dark and were just waiting for me to just step one toe in and just grab me. But can I tell you what made a difference? Having my father standing right next to me. I could go anywhere as long as he was there. I could venture into any place as long as he was there. And, and, and my fear, or lack of fear, excuse me, was based on his presence, my awareness of his presence. And it was that awareness of, God, of it, my father's presence that gave me boldness and, con- and conviction. As believers, friends, we don't have to look to an earthly father who is limited as we are. We look to a heavenly father who is limitless in what he can do. And when we know that I am with God, again, it's that scripture that says, If God be for me, who? Who can stand against me? It is more than just words. Friends, it must be conviction in your heart and my heart. Listen, I am not afraid. 
because God is with me. I am not afraid because God is for me. I don't have to wonder what tomorrow is going to look like because God has gone ahead of me. I have conviction that I can live for Him. Why? Because I know that He will take care of me. Again, Bible says, those who fear God will not fear bad news. Those who fear God will not fear bad news. Their hearts will be steadfast because they trust God. Their hearts will be firm. They will not be afraid. But we look with satisfaction on their enemies. And again, this is not to imply, you know, because I am. Hmm, hmm. I still had to do this a couple of days ago where I unfriended a person on Facebook because of something they posted. I do not believe that God works in our lives so that we can taunt others. God does not work in your life and my life so we can taunt other people. That's not the point. God works in our lives so that we can glorify Him. It's not so we can taunt others. And I had to unfriend this person because the phrase or the statement they put, and it was a pastor, suggested that simply because a person comes against me, the person is going to die. And I said to myself, why? What, where, where, show me in the Bible where, 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 where God says that just because... And, and too often, believers, listen to me, too often we, we, we gravitate toward things, ideas, statements that may seem good, may seem right, but brother and sister, they're not biblical. Is this not the same Jesus who said we have to pray for our enemies? At no point did he ever suggest that we are to call down fire to rain down on our enemies. Is that, that's not my call. However God wants to deal with those who are walking in opposition to his will, that's his call. That is not my call. It's important for us to recognize this morning, brother and sister, that the evidence of our strength in the face of opposition is conviction that I am safe and secure because I have Jesus. And there are many in the world who don't have that assurance. They don't have that confidence. They don't have that boldness. Again, because their focus is on things that are superficial, Things that are, that, are, that are here today and then gone tomorrow. Things that are not, are not consistent. Things that are not reliable. The only one that you and I can turn to and we never have to worry whether he will come through for us is the Lord. And our conviction must come from putting our trust in him. But not only is our conviction to live boldly for Christ evidence of a strong faith. But then there's what I call the evidence of a stable faith. And that is the confidence we feel in the unfailing love that Christ has shown toward us. In verse 17, Paul says to the church, following the heels of what he had said in, the begin- in previous verses, that when after, after, after you've been strengthened with power so that Christ dwells in your hearts, now, you are, now I pray that you'll be rooted and grounded in love so that you're able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the height and the depth of Christ's love. Paul is saying to the believers that what helps you and I to be able to withstand opposition is this sense of stability. I don't know about you, but I love the ground. If I go to an amusement park and I'm already on a ride that's going to take me on an elevated, elevated height, I'm already asking myself, idiot, why are you doing this? Because, because I, I love the security and the stability of the ground. I never have to worry. At least, thank God we're in a part of the world, in a country where we don't experience earthquakes. Not, not minimizing those who do. 
But I, I, love, I love a stable ground. I love, to, I love to know that if I step somewhere that it's not just going to give in, right? Because if I know, if, or if I suspect it's going to give way, I'm not stepping there. I don't want to get hurt. I love stability. Every one of us should love stability. And the Bible says that in Christ we find stability and that stability is based off of this assurance we have that His love for us will never fail. Can I be honest with you? There have been times where I've gone through difficulties in my own life and I thought, God, do you still love me? I think we all do that. And, and I'm so grateful for the grace of God. I, I believe that God sees the heart of the individual. When we are at a, a place of brokenness, when we are at a place of just worry and stress and anxiety and they, we're, we're confronted with uncertainty, we don't know what tomorrow is going to look like, I can understand how it could be easy for the heart to fail. To become so discouraged that you think, God, how am I going to get through this? And yet, the Bible promises over and over, and, and God, again, He patiently does this with you and with me. Remind us, I've got you. I've got you. Jesus talked about the one who obeys Him. He said it's like the man who builds his house on a rock. And when the winds and the waves come and they beat against that house, what happens? That house stands. Why? Because it's the foundation that matters. He says, the one that does not obey my word is like the man who builds his house on sand. I don't know who would think it's a good idea to build their house on sand. And yet, Jesus said that's what we do when we don't obey his word. Why? Because his word is foundational. And what his word does is his word reminds us that of, of his love for us. His word reminds us of what God has done to demonstrate that love for us. Again, God's love is not licensed for sin, brother and sister. God's love is not licensed for us to do whatever we want, whatever we please. Friends, God's love was extended to us so that you and I might know Him, walk in relationship with Him, and experience stability from knowing Him. Again, why? Because we recognize that God loves me and that is never going to change. God is, God is never going to stop loving me. Even when I was a sinner, the Bible says God still loved me. He didn't love my sin. The Bible says God hates sin. But He loves the sinner. That's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus died, because of the Father's unfailing love. And when you and I come to relationship with Christ and we're reminded over and over again of God's love, and, and I don't know about you, but every time I walk away from reading my Bible on a, you know, on a daily basis, Part of the message to me is, you are loved. That is part of the Spirit's message is, you are loved. You are loved. You are valued. You are cared for. You are loved. And God wants us to find stability in that love. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 to 15, Paul says, It is the love of Christ that urges us on. Paul says, my motivation for doing what I do for going through what I've gone through, for enduring what I've endured, is the love of Christ. That same love that I experienced, that has changed my life, and that I now want everyone else to experience. And so it is that love that compels me to go. Why? Because I've, I'm, 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 I'm a personal witness to the power of this love. And I know what this love can do when it takes a hold of a person's life, and it brings us squarely in the, in the center of God's will, God's best, God's purpose, God's plan. I know what this love can do, and so I want others to experience the same love as well. Paul says, it is the love of Christ that urges us on. Why? Because we are convinced that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. And he died for all, so that those who might live, no long, who live, my, excuse me, live no longer for themselves, but for him who died 
and was raised for them. The Bible says to you and I that, that our response to God's unfailing love is this sense of confidence in the fact that we are who we are. We are becoming uh, one who glorifies God because we rest on that love. We stand on that love. You know what? When, when you go through difficulty, adversity, trial, what Satan comes at is this notion of whether or not God loves you. Do you realize that? Satan understands that everything God does is motivated by his love. And so what Satan does is he will come and he will cause us to begin to question. He did that to Adam and Eve in the garden. If he will do that to them, he will do that to you and I. Notice what he said to Eve. Did God say, you are not to eat from any tree in this garden? Eve said, no, God said we could eat of any tree in this garden. The one thing we can eat is from this tree. If we do so, we die. And his words to her were, you will not die. What he was essentially saying is, Eve, God does not love you enough to tell you the whole truth. God does not love you enough to be upfront and honest with you. He is holding back from you. How could a loving God hold back from you? What Satan wants to do is to get us to question God's love. Because once we question God's love, then we start to question everything God does. That's the foundation of his attack. But again, stability. Think about this. Stability is based on us focusing on that unfailing love of God and recognizing that no matter what I go through, that love never changes. And because I know God's love will not fail, I'm fine. God, God will not look at me and then ignore me. Or he'll pass me by and, and overlook me or forsake me. God will be there for me. Paul says, again, I read it, the love of Christ urges us on because we are convinced that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. And he died for all so that those who might live, who live, excuse me, might live no longer for themselves, but for him who died and was raised for him. Here's the last point this morning. Not only is our confidence in Christ's love evidence of a stable faith, but finally, what I call the evidence of a secure faith is that you and I place our hope in his promise to finish what he started in each of us. Verse 19, Paul says that ultimately his prayer for the believers was that they would know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to all the fullness of God. That phrase, may be filled, doesn't suggest that it's a one-time experience, but Paul suggests that it is a continual experience. God's desire is to continually fill us, continually work in us, continually transform us, continually renew us, continually change us from within. Again, it is a love that he has for us that motivates his response to us, but the, 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 the experience that we have is this, that as we are being transformed by him, as we are being renewed by him, that we're over and over, we're reminded that the work that God has begun in each one of us in bringing us into salvation and in bringing us into daily relationship is a work that He will finish. What God starts, He will always complete. What God starts, He will complete. God will not leave anything half, halfway done. What He starts, He will finish. And what God has started in you and what He started in me, He will finish. He will finish. Philippians 1.6, Paul says, I am sure that God who began the good work within you will keep right on helping you grow in His grace. Until, everybody say until. until. That until suggests that there is a finish line. We don't determine the finish line, God does. God has determined when the until comes about for each of us. And my until may be different from your until. The day the Lord calls me home, my until is done. The day God calls us home, our until is done.
But either he calls me home or he sends his son to come back for his church. There is a work that God seeks to do in us until. And God's goal is to finish his work on that day when Jesus Christ returns. Paul says, believer, you may be going through hardships now, but you have something to look forward to. God is working in you. It may not seem like it, but I feel like it. But God is working in you. And what God has started in you, brother and sister, it is good. It is good. In spite of what the enemy wants you to think or wants you to believe that God is God is forsaking you, God is God has abandoned you. There's nothing God could make good God, that good that God could make out of your life. God is saying to you, no. The work God has begun in you, He will finish in you. And so when we go through adversity, hardships, difficulties, trials, what it should say to us is this. I am not going to give in or allow what's happening to me or around me to overwhelm me. Because my security is in the knowledge that He has promised me. That He will work all things for my good. Because I put my trust in Him. If you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I want you to know that the greatest decision you can ever make is to trust Jesus. Is to place your life in his hands and say, Jesus, there is nothing that I can do with this life. I've done the best I can. I've done the, the best I know to do. And, and even then, even then I still fall short. Even then, I, it, it, it never, it's never enough. But God, I believe that if I give my life to you, you will do what I could not do by myself. You will make a, you will make a change in my life that, 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 that nobody can take credit for except you. It'll be obvious to all around me that you have done this. And I want to experience that difference that knowing you will make. You can embrace Christ today as personal Savior and Lord because God's desire is for you to know His love. I want to invite the worship team to please come back to the stage. And I'm going to close with this quote. We're talking about being strong, stable, secure. That's God's desire for us. I would encourage you in your prayers, your daily prayers, and it's not only when you're going through struggles or difficulties, but, but just every day, make it your practice, make it your habit. God, make me stable, make me strong, make me secure. And again, not in my own strength, my own power, my own wisdom, my abilities, my talents, my gifts. No, God, help me, Lord, to find all of this in you, to tap into you and to draw it from you. And believe me, when I say this this morning, God is faithful. He would do what he said in his word he would do. All you have to do is trust him. Invite him. Allow him to have his way. And watch and see what God is going to do. It's going to be good. I'm going to close with this quote. A gentleman by the name of Philip Brooks wrote in a leadership article. He says, we should not pray for easy lives. But we should pray to be stronger people. He said, do not pray for tasks that are equal to your power but pray for power equal to your tasks. Then the doing of your work shall be no miracle, but you shall be a miracle. Every day you shall wonder at the richness of life which has come to you by the grace of God. Again, the bottom line is this, that every aspect of my life and your life, both the good and the bad, the easy and the difficult, that everything points back to Jesus. That he is the one that has made all this possible. That he is the one that is making all of this a daily reality. That there is nothing I can do on my own to make myself what I think I should be. But that when I surrender to God, 
He will make me what He wants me to be in Christ Jesus. Amen?